I'll never forget the first time I saw Paul of Tarsus. He and his companions, Silas, Luke, and Timothy, created quite a stir as they made their way along the road toward Philippi, right past the river where we stood. Timothy was young and handsome, and when they came over the rise and he saw the town up ahead, he began to run. (laughs) Not one of the women on the shore of the Ganges that day could take their eyes off him. I stood there watching as they brought their baggage, meager as it was. What a motley crew they were. Luke with his physician's bag bulging full of who knows what, Silas bumbling along, and Paul with his sparse red hair and unsteady gait bringing up the rear. We couldn't imagine who they were, but we were soon to find out. But first, let me tell you a little about me. I was left a widow at a young age with children to raise. Fortunately, I inherited my father's business of dealing in the much-desired purple cloth. In a world where women rarely competed with men in business, I had little choice. We had to eat. So, with a little ingenuity on my part, I learned the entire business, from the dyeing process right up to finding a buyer. I was brought up in Thyatira, where the plant murex grew wild. And even as a child, I learned it could be processed to dye cloth a beautiful shade of purple. Purple is always in demand for religious vestments and curtains, as well as clothing for royalty. And I soon learned it would provide an excellent income for my children and me. The Ganges River was sparkling clear and provided a perfect place for the women in my charge to rinse the dye from the cloth. It was our custom to stop for a small lunch at midday. Some of the women were Jewish and used to the time for worship. They sat in small groups and prayed, recited the prophecy and the law, and they discussed how it affected their lives. There was no synagogue there since Jewish families were in the minority and had no place to worship. The women Gentiles sat off to the side, some listening but rarely participating. Soon the riverside became the place to be on the Sabbath. Others were invited, men and women and children. As I walked toward the river gathering on one of the Sabbaths, I was surprised to see that the four men that we had seen walking down the road were also there. The one speaking, I later learned, was Paul. While he wasn't much to look at, he had a powerful voice, and I was immediately struck by his message. He told of one who claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the one the Jews had been expecting for so long. He said that he had met this man on the road to Damascus, And he told how his life had changed since that meeting. As he spoke, God opened my heart to his message. And I knew immediately that this was what I had been looking for all my life. My family had always worshipped the Greek and the Roman gods, but I somehow knew even then that something was lacking. There must be something better. I looked around the group, seeing the faces of the other Gentiles, and I wondered how this would affect them. I expected the Jews to believe in it. He was their savior. But how were my people reacting to it? I knew it it was up to me to make the first move. I got to my feet, and I went over to the four men. I want this Jesus as my savior. And I want the baptism with water, I said. Luke immediately came to my side and he asked me some questions. 
and I suppose my answers were satisfactory, for Paul took my hand, saying, God bless you, my sister. A murmur rose from the crowd. I noticed that some of my servants, they were walking over to the river to be baptized also. As one or two timidly came, others joined them, until soon a line had formed, reaching all the way to the river's edge. Paul took each of us individually and baptized us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. As I came up out of the water, I felt clean inside and out. I knew I had to help make others see what I now understood, that Jesus of Nazareth was the Savior of the world. I went home and I told the children and all their families of my revelation, and soon they were also baptized. I began to devote a good portion of my income to help Paul, Silas, and the others in their work, and invited them to stay at my home whenever they were traveling in the area. This new commitment to the Messiah was wonderful. We found comfort in the unconditional love that we felt for each other. Still, the Christian life was not easy. There were those who condemned us. Many of my own people thought my senses had left me. How could a dead man rise and live again, they wondered. Some of the Jews thought it was unthinkable for a Gentile to be included. They insisted we first become Jews. But we gained much of our strength from the example of Paul, as he wrote to us from prison in Rome, never complaining of his own lot, but always encouraging us to be strong in the faith. You know, it's not enough to say we believe, to accept Jesus as Savior. We must help others to do the same. As Paul said, how can they believe if they have not heard? We ended last Sunday in Jerusalem with the disciples gathering in John Mark, or really uh, his mom Mary's house, after Peter had been miraculously freed from prison. Now, sometime later, the, the disciples, they dispersed, they went in different directions, partially because of persecution and partially because they took Jesus' words seriously in, in the Great Commission. Now, along the way, it's not a stretch at all to say that they stopped in homes, that they, they visited with people, that they... they were welcomed by some and, and probably turned away by others. Paul and Barnabas, they, they travel to the island of, of Cyprus and, and then up through Galatia and then back to Antioch, which always seemed to be the starting point. Antioch always seemed to be the starting point for their journeys. And then Barnabas, he, he takes John Mark to, to some of the places that he and Paul had previously visited. And, and Paul takes his friend Silas up on a, on a longer journey. They go from Antioch again in Syria up through Galatia and down through Troas. And on their way to Athens and Corinth and Ephesus, they stop in Macedonia and Philippi where they meet Lydia. Now we just heard some of Lydia's story. She's a Gentile woman who's at least somewhat uh, attracted to, Jeru to Judaism, uh, and she's also a very successful businesswoman. So on the Sabbath, she takes her, her staff and her family down to the river, and, and while she's there, she runs into Paul and the others. 
Now she hears his preaching and his talking and his praying and something strikes her to the core. The Lord opens her heart and she and her entire immediate circle are baptized. Lydia's house becomes the the place of refuge for the disciples in a distant and foreign land. She welcomes them and opens her home to become the hub of the church in Philippi. Now, the, the ancient Greek world was, was full of spiritual people. People visited temples all the time, hoping to, to glean wisdom or favor from Zeus and Apollos or one of the other Greek gods. Today, we might say that, that it was a world that was full of people who were seeking, those who were spiritual but not religious, or folks who, who followed God in their own sort of way but didn't really feel the need to be connected to a church community. And now in the middle of that world, in the middle of the world full of people looking for answers, trying to find the meaning of life, a deeper meaning, there was a lot of noise of information and misinformation. And in the middle of that world, Lydia opens her home. It all starts with opening her heart to what Paul had to say. She welcomes Paul's preaching before she welcomes Paul into her home. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, he says that, that Paul preached in a way that tapped on a window that was already open. So, so Lydia was already on the search. Her, her journey had already begun. Paul's words just guided her along that journey. And then she realized that the church in Philippi had a, a far better chance of succeeding if it had a permanent residence. It's the difference between someone coming into a town and, and deciding to stay in a hotel for a while or, or deciding to look for a long-term rental and someone moving into a community and planting roots. Now, by welcoming Saul and or Paul and Silas and, and the others into her home, Lydia was giving the church this sense of, of permanence in her town. When Haley and I lived in Malawi, we, we stayed in one of the church's two manses, which was affectionately called Manse 2. It was uh, this beautiful, beautiful property, uh, a decent-sized house that, that had a pristine yard full of avocado trees and all other types of fruit trees and vegetables. It was incredible. And one of the things that we had to get used to while we lived there was uh, the, the reality that this was the church's house. So we hosted Bible studies and, and youth groups, and, and people were constantly stopping by, often without any warning at all. We, we had to get used to our, our house being a part of the church or an expression of our church in the neighborhood where we lived. Now, our living situation in Malawi has stuck with me and has kind of kept this idea of our home being a hub for the church in a specific place kind of in, in my mind. And for some reason, uh, for some of us, that, that's terrifying. We don't want people stopping by at all hours of the day and, and, and night. We don't want people to see the mess. Or really, I've got a huge mess behind the camera. You just can't see it. We, we don't want to spend the energy cleaning up before people come over. And, and we don't necessarily want our house to be a part of the, the church movement, the, the house church movement. We never we never planned for that. That's why we're a part of a church like WBC that has a beautiful sanctuary, a beautiful courtyard, beautiful grounds. And shoot, the reality is right now, we, we can't have people in our house anyway. But, but I do think this season is reminding us that the church is so much more than a building. It's so much more than a place that we go. Instead, it's a community that we belong to, a community that we follow Jesus with one another. 
At the start of the service, Peter reminded us that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. And now during this season, we, we are being reminded that sometimes the church leaves the building. So what if during the season, we're being invited to see where God is moving in our neighborhoods, where Jesus is present in our neighborhoods? And what if during this season, we're being called to use what we have, our homes, our yards, our, our digital communities, to foster faith, friendship, and service to the greater community? Lydia, she opens up her home. She uses what she has to welcome others and in turn to welcome God. And it all starts with her willingness to open her heart to what God was doing through Peter and, or excuse me, through Paul in that river. So I believe that God is doing mighty things in the midst of what we're going through today. And I hope we're in a place where we're able to listen through all the noise. I, I hope we're willing to use what we have to welcome God and to welcome others. Let's pray. Gracious God, may we open our homes in the same way that Lydia opened hers. May we uh, use what we have to glorify you in all that we do and all that we say and in how we live. We pray these things in your name. Amen.